Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hello and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, brought to you by Intel. My name is James Kent. Today's topic is the successful deployment of AI to make insurance claim processing in the cloud faster, more predictable, and more cost-effective. The successful use of AI depends on identifying and optimizing the performance of hardware and software tools that increase AI's efficiency, flexibility, and speed. We will discuss some of the challenges to realizing those goals and the creative innovations being developed by Intel and its partners at Retrace. Joining me in this discussion, I have with me Vasant Kearney, PhD. Vasant is the CTO of Retrace Labs based out of San Francisco. Retrace Labs' goal is to help deliver high quality, simple, and predictable oral health care. Vasant, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on here. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, and next, I have with me Ravi Panchumarthi, PhD. Ravi's a machine learning engineer with Intel Corporation. Ravi, how are you doing today? Hi, James. I'm glad to be here. Okay, let's dive right in. Vasant, what are the unique challenges AI architects and data scientists encounter when deploying AI to the cloud for insurance claim and payment processing? The thing that makes insurance claim processing uniquely challenging is the throughput. So if you're in a single hospital or small clinic, healthcare setting, you'll deal with much smaller volumes overall, uh, which make it so that your ML ops solution can be much more forgiving. And you don't have to worry about scalability quite as much. Mm. Once you move into the insurance world, the volumes become much larger because you can imagine you're servicing uh, clinics across the United States. So everything ranging from large conglomerations of hospitals, including all their satellites, to smaller mom and pop clinics, to large DSOs. Uh, and you have to manage these uh, spikes in throughput, and you don't want to incur those costs in the evening or when the, uh, when the clinic is, uh, is down or on the weekends. How does the kind of hardware employed uh, contribute to the hurdles developers encounter? Uh, can you speak specifically about the limitations and costs associated with deploying only GPU-based instances in the cloud? Um, and I'm looking for answers from both uh, you, Vasant, and Ravi. Yeah, so um, GPUs are probably something that most data scientists are familiar with. Uh, in the computer vision world anyway. And so they they oftentimes choose that when they deploy models in production just because they're familiar with it. Sure. But they'll quickly realize that there's some very difficult features about GPUs, namely the way they handle memory mm. and the way they get deployed onto scalable tools like Kubernetes. So, you know, there, there's other ones, of course. It's not trivial to share memory between uh, GPUs, so you're limited by the the rather low memory footprint of each GPU. Now in a AWS, you have GPUs, the you know in the range of 12 gigabytes or so, 
but you can get up to into the terabytes if you go to the high uh, memory instances in AWS for CPUs. So what that means is you can store many models on each instance. And of course, the more common cheaper CPUs being about 512. So you can store many, many more models. And in the healthcare space, this is quite important because it's common anyway to have a lot of different models to predict things in series. Uh, oftentimes you might say, you, can, you might uh, first have to identify certain things about an image such that you can identify later downstream things. Uh, if you want, we can get into some of those details, but focusing on the, uh, the ML ops ease of use with CPUs, it's just, they're far easier. There's far, there's been a lot long, many more tools. It's been developed for a lot longer. So if you have conventional DevOps folks, they will know their way around all the different CPU tools, but they it's rare to, to find folks with experience with those similar GPU tools. And the GPU tools are, are much more narrow and, and uh, haven't, they have either haven't been allow, around for as long and they just don't have as, as many features. So you're going to wind up paying the price in development and paying the price in scalability. Yeah, so also I would like to add that, as Vasant mentioning, uh, the uh, the cost associated with uh, compute resources and throughput and also the manageability of multiple models deploying on different uh, at different scales is uh, the key to have a flexible cost flexible uh, cost for devops so that helps uh, with cpus where they could be uh, flexible enough and the cpus can be broken up into as uh, much better and offer much better uh, compute flexibility ravi both you and Vasant just mentioned in uh, your responses CPU-based instances. Uh, how do they offer greater flexibility and reduce cloud computing costs? Hopefully, uh, you could elaborate a little bit more on that. Sure. So CPU-based instances uh, primarily do not have any kind of accelerators like GPUs. And uh, in a CPU, the lowest compute unit is a single core. And the AWS cost structure is based on how many uh, CPU cores you are using or renting from them. So, and Intel CPUs in AWS have a wide range of selection from like one core to all the way up to like 448 cores. Uh, and along with different combinations of memory, storage, and networking capacity. Uh, there are also several generations of CPUs and older generations of CPUs uh, are a bit cheaper and the newer generation of uh, CPUs are a little bit expensive, also provide much more capabilities in AI acceleration. Uh, so this kind of flexibility allows the end user to appropriately choose the right number of CPU cores or instances for their workload. And, uh, and also with uh, recent technologies like Kubernetes, uh, scaling the number of CPUs, uh, that is provisioning them, pro provisioning more or less number of instances based on the workload demand uh, will be seamless. Yeah, Ravi touched on the idea of deploying more pods or more instances using Kubernetes. 
that's one thing that we that was one very compelling reason to to switch to open vino hmm. and use cpu based instances because the image size of your docker container can get pretty big with gpus you, there's a lot of dependencies uh these cuda libraries and everything else that are required uh, i can give you a little comparison of the size difference would be three gpu that uh, three gigabytes for gpu versus 200 megabytes for cpu wow now what that means is when you want to spin up more pods it takes 10 you know you have to download something 10 times bigger roughly yeah and so how what does that mean for in our case for the dentist it means that if we reach a bottleneck meaning that there are too many dentists trying to submit claims or trying to uh, upload images they have to wait right so there would be a queue and we can't it takes some time to turn on those pods so we have to they would experience that backlog in that case. Now, in this case, they're a lot smaller. We can just turn those on really quickly. We don't have to worry about having these minimum number of pods running all the time just frivolously. We can just dynamically turn them on and off. It's a lot easier. What is an AI workload? And what does it mean to scale performance up or down using the appropriate infrastructure? AI workload primarily means uh, the underlying algorithms used to solve a particular workload are based on machine learning and deep learning technologies. Uh, Vasant here and their team were primarily using deep learning technologies to solve uh, the problems. And when scaling the performance up or down uh, refers to how much compute are you allocating to solve the problem and based on the demand, uh, you could either increase or decrease these compute resources quickly, as Vasant was mentioning earlier. When I think of AI workload, what that means to, to the data science or, or DevOps teams would be what you need to run inferences on. So it might mean at any given time, you could have, let's say, a couple hundred thousand images, a couple hundred million images, and that would be your workload. It could be that if you're processing large batches, that workload is very well-defined by that batch. Say somebody wants to, in the claims are oftentimes uh, submitted with a, the fixed frequency in the, in the day, so they can come in the evening or during lunchtime. Uh, that, that's when you might get the bulk of those. And some, some insurance companies only allow claims to be um, processed in the in those discrete times other ways you might ingest that workload would be just a batch upload by an insurance company that might just give you dump a huge number of claims on you in which case you would see them all simultaneously now one way to handle that could be to just parse through them you know one by one claim packet by claim packet and you'll get through it whenever you get through it and the cost is fixed and you just it's it's uh, the cost is a function of how much time it takes to run through it. The other way to do it is to parallelize it uh, using these uh, Kubernetes or whatever other auto-scaling mechanism you're using and just throw it at a lot of resources for a short amount of time and then shut it down. Uh, obviously, it, you can put yourself in the customer or the partner's uh, uh, position and quickly realize that you would prefer 
the uh, second option where you just throw it at a lot of resources and then shut it off quickly. So it's very, very expensive for a short amount of time or cheap for a long amount of time. And the customers and the, the patients, the doctors, everybody benefits for from uh, it being expensive for a short amount of time, but the cost being uh, equal. Now to tie this all together, let's bring in some real world examples of all the behind the scenes action taking place. Vasant, in oral care, how are these solutions shaping better results for the businesses you serve? Right. So inference happens at the time of extra acquisition. So if you can imagine a CT image being scanned through, yeah. there's a, a bunch of steps that happen in this. So it could be you're acquiring these projections, these x-ray projections or and orbiting around your patient. Then you're doing the reconstruction and you're uh, computing those images slice by slice. So that's that's how you can think of those CBCTs. But in other forms of images in dentistry, we have those groups of images being captured, similar to how you can think of it happening in a CBCT. However, there's no, in some of them, there's no post-processing step where you're reconstructing the 3D image. You're just taking the 2D snapshots, using those directly. And so those are going to hit your imaging system right when the image is is written to the database. There's no, there's not intensive post-processing steps. So you need to first realize when you're done with that, that study, that group of images and compute that in unison because each study tells a story about the patient at that given time. Mm. And you want to make sure, just like I, I, I brought up the CT images, even though that's uh, CBCT images in, in dentistry are l less common than the, the type I'm mentioning, which is the full mouth series. Uh, I brought up that first because that's a snapshot of, of a broader field of view of the patient's anatomy. And mm -hmm. you really need all of those images working in unison to understand the, the state of that patient. So you need to take all those images into account simultaneously to get an understanding of it. So you can make inferences on a single image. And then once you know all the images have been uploaded, you can then make a comprehensive uh, inference about that combination of images. So that's, that's what starts chair side. <laughs> then later on, those all get packaged into a claim and they get used to uh, in the submission process to the, to the pair. And Ravi, what has you excited right now about all of this technology? The synergy between the cloud computing and cutting-edge healthcare solutions from Retrace and Intel's hardware and software, all of these are helping to drive ever more intelligent and robust uh, uh, medical AI solution. Um, it is exciting place to be. All of these technologies independently are moving the industry forward with the, the synergies, um, it is becoming even better. Well, Ravi and Vasant, we've covered a lot of ground today in a short amount of time, but as we conclude our conversation today, is there anything else on this topic we haven't covered that we want to leave our listeners with? If you're choosing to, to implement OpenVINO for the purpose of uh, shifting to CPUs, one of the 
challenges you could face or one, one thing you were probably considering is the development resources you'll have to to use to uh, make it so that your data science is uh, up to speed and can use OpenVINO. Uh, one thing that we found is that Intel team was the Intel team was super helpful in this regard, specifically Ravi, and uh, he paired us up with other people. He brought them in uh, that had specific domain expertise, and uh, I would say utilize the Intel resources. Get I think th- that was something we did, and uh, we we had a lot of our data science, ranging from our senior data scientists to our junior data scientists get in there and really get some hands-on training. So that was super helpful. Thank you, Asant. Uh, yes, so Intel is uh, investing a lot of efforts in providing the best hardware and software to accelerate AI workloads. So we encourage audience to check out all the Intel's AI hardware and software portfolio. Fasant Kearney, PhD and CTO of Retrace Labs, and Ravi Panchumarthi, PhD, machine learning engineer with Intel Corporation. This has been an exciting conversation today. Fasant, if people want to learn more about Retrace Labs and the work you're doing there, what's the best place for people to go and check out all the cool things you're up to? You can check out our website, retrace.ai. You can also look at our LinkedIn. It's probably the best resources for you right now. You can also look up any of the IP or publications, either Google Scholar or Google Patents. Excellent. And Ravi, if people want to find out more about Intel and the work they're doing with AI and deep learning solutions, where should they go? Uh, Specifically with uh, AWS, the Intel instances, uh, you could check out at aws.amazon.com slash Intel to get started with the deep learning inference OpenVINO software. Uh, check out docs.openvino.ai and you could always follow uh, Intel AI on LinkedIn or Twitter to know more. Vasant and Ravi, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, it, has, it has been a great conversation. And thank you for taking time to listen to this episode of Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, brought to you by Intel. Be sure you're subscribing to this channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Simplecast to hear more from the Intel Health and Life Sciences Group. I'm James Kent. Let's talk again soon.